God. And it's a, it's a verse that I know you guys know very well. Uh, John 3.16. <laughs> and actually, there's a little bit of discussion and debate that surrounds this verse. Um, and the question is, who did Christ die for? And it's like, well, isn't that obvious, right? Well, it is, but in one sense, it may not be. Uh, there's a discussion. There are, there are basically two voices. One voice says, when Christ died on the cross, he died for every single person, past, present, and future, that has ever existed. Um, the other voice says that Christ, when he died on the cross, he died for the elect. In other words, he only died for those who would believe in him. So he didn't die for those who do not believe in him. And it's, uh, it's like, what? Some of you may be hearing this for the first time. And I want to tell you that we don't want to demonize and to dis be dismissive and insult any you know, side. Uh, because there are good believing Christians on both sides of this issue. But I want to tell you that what I see in Scripture, I believe that it says that Christ did die not for every single person in the world, but for the believing people. And I'm not going to force you to believe it, but I want to give you grant, um, I want to give you my case. And I hope to God that maybe God can work something with it so that you can see why I take this position. This is a position that even when I was studying theology, I couldn't accept because it seemed so horrific. How can Christ not die for every single person, right? Um, but as I, as I continue to read the scriptures, I started thinking, I think, I think this is true. And I want to show you why in, 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 in this brief moment. So with that said, let's say this verse. Actually, let's try this. Anybody know this verse by heart? Nobody wants to say it because you know what's going to happen next. <laughs> so can you recite it for us? Anybody? No? Feeling bold and courageous? and No? Okay, I'll just read it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of God. Um, I want to show you two things, two words that I just want to focus on today. And this entire verse is a beautiful verse of but I want to focus on the first six words, and specifically the word so and the word world. Okay? So I just want to focus on, for God so loved the world. So let's talk about this word so. You know, in the English Bible, when you, when you read this verse, what do you think of? They, for God so loved the world, right? So how do you understand that word so? Typically, if, you, if you're like me, you're going to understand the word so as so much. It's going to mean, for God loved the world this much or so much, right, that he gave his only son, right? 
And you know what? There's, in a sense, that's not wrong because God does love so much, right? But what I want to show you is actually in this text, the word so doesn't mean so much. It's not an intensifier, right? It actually means in this way, right? It actually means, so if we were to translate this verse more literally and more understandably, clearly, it may say something to the effect of, for in this way, God loved the world, right? So the natural question after hearing that is what? For God in this way loved the world. Well, we would, we would ask, what way, right? And in order to understand that, if you have your Bible still open, I want to invite you to read with me the two verses that precede this famous verse, John 3.16. So in your Bibles, look at verse 14 and 15. And I'm going to read it out loud, if you can follow along with me silently. Now it says... And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, the word for connects John 3.16 to this statement. Because what Jesus is doing, he said verse 14 and 15, and then he says, now, for, now that you know this, for in this way, in this way, God loved the world. And what Jesus is saying, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must Jesus himself, the Son of Man, be lifted up. And we know that he's referring to dying on the cross. Now, in order to understand with what kind of love that God has loved his people, right? you have to understand what happened during that time that Jesus is referring to. When Moses was alive and he lifted up a serpent. If you don't know the story, or if you do know the story, but it's kind of hazy, let's go to Numbers 21 right now. Let's go back to Numbers 21. And let's start with verse 5, and we're going to read through verse 9. And it's really important that you process each of the things that's happening in this event, in this historical event when Moses was alive. Because Jesus is basing the most famous Bible verse ever upon this event. And he's basically making an argument, you want to know with what kind of a love that God has loved you? He has loved you with the same love that he has loved his people back when Moses was alive. And in order to understand that, you have to understand Numbers 21. You see, what's the problem with understanding for God so loved the world as so much? Well, if you're like me, it's very vague. You don't really know what so really means. So if you think for God so loved the world, yeah, it's a lot, but what, like, like, what is a lot, right? It's, it's very vague, right? It's like, I love you so much. Okay, you love, me, you love me as much as your arms can extend? Well, depending on how short or long your arms are, your love is either smaller or greater, right? So it, it, it's very vague. 
But what I want to show you, that if you understand for God so loved the world in the correct way that Jesus communicated it to, his, to the Jews at the time, for God loved the world in this way, then you will begin to see just how much and how great the love of God is. And so with that in mind, read it silently with me as I read it out loud. Numbers 21, verse 5 through 9. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from, from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, you have to understand what's going on here. God has delivered his people from Egypt. He brought plagues upon Egypt, great plagues, supernatural plagues. He struck the firstborn of Egypt. He killed children. And you're like, in American society, oh, how can you harm children, right? God, he struck the firstborn, right? He's not an American God by any means. He's God, period, right? He... He divided the Red Sea so that the waters of the Red Sea, the Bible tells us, became a wall to the Israelites. And they walked through the Red Sea on dry land. Okay? This is supernatural stuff. And they saw everything. And then the Egyptians were pursuing them. And the, and the Israelites were running to safety on the other side of the Red Sea. And God let the waters come down upon the Egyptians so that as the Israelites left, the Egyptians died, and the Israelites were saved. Now, we're not going to go into all the ethical things about why did God choose the Israelites over the Egyptians. That's not the point. The point is that God did some amazing things to show how much he loved his people. And what's happening in Numbers 21 is after all the Israelites saw that, and all the Israelites witnessed that and experienced it. And they felt the emotion. They're like, oh my God, God is a, such a great God. He's such a powerful God. He's such, he's such a majestic and awesome God. And then they're coming in the wilderness. And it's a desert. There's no food. There's no water. God, he sends this supernatural food, this manna that falls from heaven. They're able to eat it and live in a place that is arid and deathly and not sustainable for life. And after they keep eating that and after they start surviving, they're getting upset. And they're like, why did you bring us out of Egypt? They forgot all the amazing things. 
they forgot how the Red Sea became a wall on both sides of them and how they walked upon the sea floor as if it was dry ground. They forgot all that. They said, why'd you bring us up to, to, to make us die here? There's no food. There's no water. And you know what, God? We hate this food. We're sick of it. I mean, you know, I have a daughter now. <laughs> if she told, you know, I, 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 was, I was there in the birthing room. <laughs> I'm not going to go into the details, but you know what? <laughs> it's amazing. Like, moms are amazing. They're, they're just, they're, they're almost superhuman, <laughs> right? And if I saw Evelyn being ungrateful to Sophia, and I remember everything that Sophia did, right? Sophia didn't take an epi. It was all natural, right? That's all the detail I'll give you, right? And, you know, the nurses, was, when Sophia said, no, I'm not going to do the epi, you know what the nurses were like? Are you sure? <laughs> you sure about this? Um, if I saw Evelyn being ungrateful and saying, I hate the stuff that you went through and that you intentionally did for me, and I hate the stuff, and I'm sick of the stuff, the food that you're giving me and the clothes that you put on me and the routine, I hate it all. It's, it's tiresome, it's boring, it's nothing. You know, it breaks my heart, you know? Um, that's what's happening here. And God sent fiery serpents. And you know what? This is, this is not God saying, okay, you, you don't like what I do? Okay, forget you. This is not it. When God, something about God that you see throughout the Old Testament, right, is when he pours out his wrath, he only pours out his wrath in order to heal. Do you know that? So any time that God dispenses his wrath and his anger, he does it with the ultimate purpose to heal. So when he pours forth judgment on his people, it's a teaching moment, guys. It's a God who says, I love you still, and you're going to learn from this, and you're going to learn to love me back. That's him. And so when he lets loose these serpents on, on the Israelites, yeah, many people died. They did. But when Moses put up this bronze serpent, all the Israelites came, well, whoever believed Moses' and God's words, they came they looked at the bronze serpent that had nothing to do with their, the poison that was coursing through their body, okay? The venom that's going to kill them. It had nothing to do with that. The only connection between the bronze serpent and the poison that is killing them is God's word and his promise that if you look, you will be healed. And the people who came and they looked, they were healed. And so in John 3, 16, when God says, for in this way, God loved the world. You know what he's saying? He's saying, when you were, when you saw all of my might and my beauty and my power and my glory, when I divided the Red Sea, when I delivered you from slavery, after you saw that and you became ungrateful and you forgot me, you forgot all my wondrous works, you forgot how I loved you, how I rescued you, how I delivered you, how I kept my promise to save you. 
And you forgot all that. And even the supernatural sustenance that I provided for you that no one has tasted except this generation of people in this very small pocket of time. After you became ungrateful, I loved you in such a way that I didn't demand when you were in your ungrateful position I didn't say, you ungrateful children, you better prove yourself to me because there's no chance after this. He didn't love them that way. I actually preached the sermon to the youth today. I think, Joseph, you were there, right? I saw you, right? <clears throat> and I compared it to Santa Claus, and I said, there's something I wasn't going to bring in, but I'll just bring it in for like a few seconds, right? Santa Claus, what is he saying? He says, you better be good. And if you're good, you're going to get gifts. If you're bad, you're going to get a lump of coal. Right? You see, when, in John 3.16, when Jesus was describing God's love, he wasn't saying that once you prove yourself and you obey and you make a new history record of your life showing how good of a person you are, then I'll think about accepting you and loving you. You see, when Jesus said, for in this way, God loved the world. He's saying it's not in the way that you think someone would love you. He's saying it's in a way God has loved you in a way that you would never imagine. That you would never fabricate for yourself. Because we're wired to think and to believe that we have worth because of something we do. Because of something we perform well. We're wired that way. And so God is saying, it's not in that way that I have loved you. Not in the way that you think. But I have loved you in this way. In the same way when you deserve death. And God provided a way for you to believe and be healed. That's the way I love you. It's not based upon something you do. It's based upon the power of my word. You see, the only reason that these people, this is not, this will, what happened in Numbers 21 will never be an example for medical practice ever. You know why? Because the power of healing is not in something we manipulate, and thank God for that, and people who are experts at that, but the power of the healing for that very unique moment in time in Numbers 21 was based upon the word of God because it was his promise that a bronze serpent on a stick would somehow, when they look at it, that they would be healed. And you know what? The Israelites later on, do you know? Do you know what they did with this bronze serpent? They kept it. And you know what they started doing? It. They named it. You know, like people name stuff, right? When I remember my first car. It was terrible. It was a Ford Trace. Do you even know what that is? No. Okay. Look it up. It's ugly car. Ford Tempo, right? I shared that with my sister. That's even a weird car. You know what it had? It had an eject button. I don't know why. We pressed it. We thought it said passenger eject. And we thought, you know, it would eject. You know, we were going to, me and my sister, we were going to church. I was driving. And um, <clears throat> uh, we got into an argument on the highway. And I just, I got so mad. I got, because she was a better communicator than me at that time. And so I, well, all I did, I just kept pressing that eject button. <laughs> 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 and 
And she, she just looked at that, she looked at me, and she was like, really? <laughs> but anyways, um, she's coming to visit, by the way, this week. She's going to be staying for two weeks. Uh, she's going to come Sunday, I think. Um, so you'll get to meet my wonderful dragon lady sister, whom I love and cherish. Um, what, was I, what was the point I was making? <laughs> huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I named that car, right? Um, what they did, the Israelites, in Numbers 20, Caleb, thank you so much, right? Um, they named it, and they started worshiping it because they thought this is how the human mind thinks, that it wasn't God's word that healed them, but it was something magical and superstitious about the bronze serpent. And so they kept it and named it uh, I'm probably butchering the name, Nefushtan. Uh, you can look it up, right? It's weird, weird name. They named it, and they started worshiping the bronze serpent as if the bronze serpent itself had the power. But in Numbers 21, specifically, it's God's word that has the power, that had the power to heal. And just as Jesus went around, and when he healed people, there were times he touched them. There were times he, you know, you know, physically made contact, but many times it was by the power of his word that he healed them, right? For God in this way loved the world. He's saying, I will heal you of your sin, death, disease, not by something you do, but by the power of my word, because that's the kind of God. That's what, that's what he's saying. You realize if you try to bring that into a real relationship context, right, with a friend, with someone you love, whatever, you realize how difficult of a relationship it is to have that. When someone is a drain on you, when someone is pulling you down and is messing you up all the time, the only thing that will carry that person through with you is your word, is your commitment to love and stay with that person no matter what to the end. That's the way that God loves the world. And it is nothing like the way that we would think because we're wired to think that I, the only way we will be loved is we prove our love to somebody. If we show someone we did something good and we're playing show and tell in our existential life and we're saying, look at me, I deserve to be loved, but God is saying, it's not in that way, it's in this way. I love you, not based upon some law, rule-keeping obedience that you have done. I love you because I said I would love you, and what I say will endure to the end. That's incredible. Where do you find a love like that? You know, when someone is such a drain on your life, how do you keep loving that person? It's, it's, it's nothing like we've ever seen. And you see, it's an offense to think that God so loved the world means so much because it's so vague, it's so like, and it's so relative depending on what you think is so much. It depends. Yeah, so much for me is this. So much for me is this. So much, you know, it's, it's almost offensive to think that for God so loved the world means so much because when God says for God in this way loved the world, it's so clear. 
you were ungrateful. You saw all my blessings. You received it all. And yet, I loved you. And I healed you. And it wasn't because of something great you did. Or it wasn't because you, you righted your wrongs. It wasn't because you, um, you, you, you cleared your debt. But it was because I said I would love you and I kept my word. It's an amazing love, guys. It's amazing. Any human being would give up. But not God. For God is not a man. Last thing. <laughs> Three minutes. World, okay? Uh, how do I take so long with six words, you know? World. Um, I'm going to keep it very short. We think world means, when we, when we read for God so loved the world, we think it means every single person. There's multiple things, there are multiple records in the Bible that prove that the Jews at the time, they thought that salvation was only for the Jews and no other race. Right? And when Jesus was saying, for God so loved the world, you see, to the Jewish era at the time, they were shocked. I was like, what the, what's going on? No, that, that can't be true, right? Because the Jews thought it was just for the Jews, this covenant blessing, this salvation, this restoration, all these promises that you heard in Hosea and Genesis that was given to Abraham, that was given to David and the Messiah and how he would restore the kingdom. This is only for the Jews, right? Jesus comes in on the scene and he says, for God so loved the, and then the Jews are thinking, yeah, of course he loves us, yeah, he's always loved us. The world, what? <laughs> what do you mean world, <laughs> right? This is only for the Jews. Um, that's why multiple times, I'm not going to go into this, uh, just briefly, multiple times Jesus tells him, don't rely on the fact that you're sons of Abraham. That, has, that doesn't mean anything to God. He can raise up sons of Abraham from stones and rocks. So he's saying, don't rely on the fact that you're a Jew, that God will love you. The fact that you're a Jew doesn't have anything to do with God's love, right? There's so many incidents where um, it shows that it's not about the Jews, it's about People from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Uh, let me see. So in Acts, right? Acts 10 and 11. Peter has a vision, right? He has a vision. Uh, he sees this sheet come down from heaven. There are a bunch of really nasty creatures in there. Unclean animals that you would never eat. That a Jew, you, would, you wouldn't find a Jew close to any of these animals. They were all unclean. You know what God says in the vision? Take, kill, and eat. <laughs> Peter's like, what? No, I can't eat this stuff. This is unclean, right? And so what God says, what I have called clean, don't call unclean. It's not about eating, guys, because what happens next is there's a, there's a, there's a Gentile general, right? Military guy, high-ranking official, but he believes in God, right? He sends messengers to Peter. They bring Peter back to Cornelius, right? Peter's like, you know the laws. <laughs> I can't step foot in this house. I'm not supposed to be with you guys. No one should be seeing me with you, right? But because God has shown me, I'm coming in, right? And you know what happens? 
Cornelius and his family, they receive Jesus Christ and they become saved. And you know what? They notice the Jews, Peter, they, the Holy Spirit came down upon them when they believed. And they were amazed because they said, wait a second, the Holy Spirit is only for the Jews. Why are the Gentiles, why are the non-Jews getting the Holy Spirit? They don't, they're not supposed to get it. Salvation is only for the Jews. And then Peter said, you know, if God's going to do something, who am I to stand in the way? And so all of them, they were talking and they were like, well, I mean, if God is pouring out his Holy Spirit to the Gentiles as well, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, then salvation is also for the Gentiles. And you see, world, right? When Jesus was saying world, he wasn't necessarily talking about one single per every single person. He was talking about not just you Jews God loves. No, it's people from every nation and tribe and language that he loves. They're like, they don't deserve it. They're not Jews. <laughs> For God, in this way, do you deserve it, Jews? Look at the way that you disobeyed and that you strayed from me. And how you were ungrateful for all the blessings that I gave you. You don't deserve it either. You think it's because you're Jewish that, that God loves you? You're wrong. It's because he said he would love you. And it's the same case for the non-Jews and the Gentiles. God loves the world. Not based on race or performance or, or upbringing or heritage or any of these things, he loves them because he said he would love them. This is the way that God loves people. And it's amazing. Uh, and let me close with this, because the second part of that verse, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's basically saying, typically you would think that it's emphasizing yeah, I have to make sure I believe or else I'm going to perish. I hope I really don't perish. I want to believe. i got to be strong. Believe, 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 so I have eternal life. That is not, if you understand the first six words of this verse, you cannot understand the remainder of the verse that way. The emphasis is not on the power of you believing. The emphasis is on the security of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. No matter what you do, you will never become unsaved. You will never lose your salvation. There will never be a moment when God ceases to love you the way that he said he would love you. That's what that verse is saying. And I believe, there, now again, there are people on both camps. There are people who say it's more about, you know, you believing and you making the choice and emphasizing you're the right choice to believe. I'm telling you guys, I, to me, when I read this, and it opened my eyes, it took the burden off of my moral shoulders. And I realized how just amazing the love of God is. That I was like these Israelites who deserved death. You know, receiving all these blessings, completely ungrateful. And he loves me anyway. And I realized that once I believed that, no matter how much I stumble, I will never perish. He will never stop loving me. And John 3.16 became less 
of a requirement for me to do something right, and it more became a promise that everything will be. And I hope that's the hope and the promise for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us together today to listen to your words as you spoke it many years ago. When you showed us just how God loves us. Lord, uh, it's truly amazing. And it's liberating. It takes the burden off, God. And we realize, I realize how, what a great privilege it is to be loved by you. And instead of trying to be loved by you, Lord, I found myself surprised at the fact that I felt I have always been loved by you. So God, I ask that if there's anyone here who is still trying to be accepted and loved by you, Lord, open their eyes, lift up their head, and cut the burdens from their shoulders, and give them eyes to see, and look upon Jesus, and know that in believing, they have the eternal promise that they will never perish, but have everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. Please arise with me as we sing our response song.